Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. After these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, or Tiberias. A large crowd followed him because they saw the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. And then Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover of the Feast of the Jews, the feast of the Jews was near. That's, that's an important piece. Therefore, Jesus, lifting up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming to him, said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? And this he said, was saying to test him. Would you say to test him? Yes. Notice that, would you? Jesus is testing, in this case, Philip, but all of his disciples. For he himself knew what he was intending to do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, for everyone to receive a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are these for so many people? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in, in number about 5,000. And uh, Matthew, of course, will mention that that does not count the women and children. He specifically says that. Jesus then took the loaves, and having given thanks, he distributed to those who were seated. Likewise also of the fish, as much as they wanted. Say, as much as they wanted. Do you notice that? And when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments so that nothing will be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Therefore, when the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, This is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. We'll see who that is in a minute. So Jesus, perceiving that they were intending to come and take him by force and to make him king, withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. All right, amen. Tested by God. This amazing event is full of spiritual lessons, but here's the one we want to focus on today. This was a test. Jesus used this event to test his disciples, which means, of course, he will test us too. Do you realize that? He, tell me the difference, by the way. Does God tempt us? Absolutely not. Tempting is to lure to evil. God never does that. Will God test us? Absolutely. All the way through, you see him testing. Putting us in situations we're under pressure and watching how we respond. You might argue, doesn't he know? Yeah, but we don't. <laughs> you and I are the ones that discover how we respond in those moments. Uh, not him, I think. He wanted to see how they would respond, or maybe we should say he wanted them to see how they would respond. What would they do when following God got them into a situation where the need far outweighed the resources available. I'm going to say that again. Do you see it? What would they do? What would I do? What would you do when following God 
not your mistakes, but following God, got them into a situation where the need far outweighed the resources available. Would they trust him to provide or would they become overwhelmed and turn back? The decision these disciples were being forced to make is the threshold to spiritual fruitfulness. I'll say that one again. The decision these disciples were being forced to make is the threshold to spiritual fruitfulness. God's plans are always bigger than our resources. Much bigger. And when we arrive at that moment of realization that what he's asking us to do is impossible, we are being tested. Will we take what little we have, place it in his hands, and then move forward? Or will we turn back, believing that what he's asking can't be done? Those that pass the test move on into a miraculous dimension. What is accomplished through them over time makes no sense at all. Far more people are led to God or receive his care than that person's limited capacity should be able to produce. The results are unexplainable, but undeniable. And everyone recognizes that God must be involved. So the glory goes to him. Notice this has nothing to do with potential. It has to do with passing the test. It has to do with moving forward in what God asks you or me to do. All right, now I'm going to retell that passage I just read using all four Gospels. If the feast mentioned in the last chapter of John there, 5-1, was Purim, then this miracle of feeding the multitude in chapter 6 would have taken place about a month later. Since John tells us it was near the Passover. And please notice, Jesus this, this year is not going down to Jerusalem for Passover. This year he stays in the north. It's, not, it's too dangerous. By this point in time, all 12 disciples have been appointed. John the Baptist has been beheaded. And Jesus has gone to the northeast corner of the Sea of Galilee, or the Sea of Tiberias as it later came to be called, to rest. This is the only one of Jesus' major miracles that is reported by all four Gospels. If we add to John's description details provided by Matthew, Mark, and Luke, a vivid picture of that wonderful event emerges. It took place after the 12 disciples had returned to report to Jesus the results of their ministries after he'd been sent out, he had sent them out two by two. You recall that? He appoints them. He tells them now, he says, I want you to go into cities. I don't, take, don't carry uh, your, a wallet, a purse. Don't take uh, extra clothing with you, anything else. I want you to go out two by two, uh, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers. Uh, freely you have given, freely, been given, freely uh, Freely you've received, freely give. Remember, remember that? All right. They go out, they come back, and now he wants to rest. He wants them to rest. He wants to just talk with them. By then, a dangerous political atmosphere had also developed. Herod Antipas had begun to suspect that Jesus was John the Baptist, who had come back to life after being executed. And he, Herod wanted to uh, interview Jesus. That would not be a good thing. So in order to withdraw from the crowds and move beyond Herod's reach, Jesus led his disciples to a remote place south of the village of Bethsaida, the hometown of Peter, Andrew, James, John, and Philip. They, they found about 30 years ago, they found the remains. They didn't know for a long time where Bethsaida was. 
uh, but it's there. Uh, the lake is actually much lower than it was in those, in those days, and so it's, it's back through, there's a big marshy kind of swamp, but, but we go to Bethsaida. And it was a town, probably about 600 people, maybe 60 families. Uh, you walk around through these ruins and you go, which was Peter's house? <laughs> you know, one of them will be. You know, I don't know which one. Nobody does. But, uh, but it's, these places are there. In fact, the, the, the place I'm describing uh, where this miracle takes place is there. Those of you that have gone with me to Israel, it's, remember, Kersey, that, uh, that uh, crusader ca- uh, church that we go to. And uh, we sit there and we remember the, the story of the, of the pigs and of the, of the feeding, or of the demoniac. Uh, that it's right, it's that whole uh, valley, that field, right there to the north of us. So if you go to Israel this year, you're going to stand in the very place we're talking about. There's no mystery where this is. It's, it's there. The region east of Bethsaida was outside the control of Herod Antipas. And away from the, the Jewish population centers. A flat plain extends from the hills of the Golan Heights on the east to the shore of the lake. Jesus and his disciples sailed there by boat, but people along the shore still recognized them and ran ahead to meet them. (laughs) He's trying to sneak over there, and it didn't work. By the time the boat arrived, a large crowd was waiting on the beach. When he saw the crowd, Jesus felt compassion rather than frustration. He saw them as sheep without a shepherd, says Mark. He understood that they were pursuing him because they were hungry for God. The spiritual leaders who were supposed to care for them had failed. So instead of resting, Jesus began to teach many different topics. That's stated in there. To heal those who were sick. And he continued throughout the day until late in the afternoon. Finally, his disciples came to him and said, in effect... It's getting late, and there is no place nearby for such a great crowd to purchase food. Send them away to search for food in the farms and villages in the surrounding area. They're suggesting that they go out and go to the farmer's house and say, you got any chickens you can spare, any any grain you'd sell me. You know, just begin to forage through the through this remote area. You've got, you got a little uh, village of Gergesa right there, but that's, a, that's actually a, a, a Gentile area. And, and, and so he's, he's there saying, saying there's no food around here. Uh, they know the place, it's their home. Uh, they said, have them go out and knock on doors, you know, that kind of thing. Six of the disciples had grown up in Bethsaida, So they would have been very familiar with what was available in that region. Jesus' response shocked them. He turned to Philip and said, they don't need to go looking for food. You give them something to eat. This command overwhelmed them all as he knew it would. John says he already knew the miracle he was going to do. But that he said this in order to test Philip. See it? Poor Philip. Now, he's, he's, under the, he's under the gun there, but it's all of them. About 5,000 men were present, and that number did not include all the women and children who were there. So the total size of the multitude may have reached 10 to 15,000 individuals. Can you preach to that many people? You can. John Wesley did it. I mean, it, before you had electronic uh, amplification, you have to work with it. You have to put them in places so they can hear and all that kind of thing. But you can do it. Philip replied, how could we possibly feed all these people? 
It would take almost $20,000 to purchase enough bread to give each one no more than a small portion. But Jesus did not change his mind. He told his disciples to go out into the crowd and ask if anyone had brought some bread along with them. They began asking, but their search turned up only five small loaves of barley bread and two small cooked or pickled fish. By the way, the fish in the lake are tilapia. So if you, in case you wonder, yeah, it's the native fish. Yeah, so these are little pickled tilapia or whatever. Andrew had discovered a very young boy who'd volunteered what likely had been the supper his mother had sent with him. Jesus told them to bring him the loaves and fish and then ordered the crowd to recline. Yours will say sit, but it says recline. Uh, the, the way they would eat there is lie on one side on an elbow. And so they're to recline in the grass uh, as if they were dining at a table. And they were told to cluster in groups of 50 or 100. It was, it was springtime, so the area was covered with a pleasant layer of green grass. When all were ready, Jesus took the loaves and fish, looked up to heaven, and prayed a prayer of thanksgiving to God. And then began to break the loaves into smaller pieces. He probably put those pieces into baskets and handed them to his disciples so they could carry them out and place them down in front of the various groups. He then did the same thing with the fish. The miracle itself must have occurred during the process of breaking off small pieces of the bread or the fish. Each loaf or each fish must have decreased in size very slowly. So slowly that baskets of bread and fish could be produced from five small loaves and two small fish. And the miracle continued long enough to allow empty baskets to be replenished until everyone had eaten as much as they wanted. Have you ever seen any kind of miracle like this? where there is food or something like that goes farther than it should. I have seen it on a couple of occasions. Uh, I remember one time, I think it was in Arizona, we had, we had a mission and we were, we were, uh, we were uh, feeding people and way too many people showed up. <laughs> it's like, we, you, know, you looked out and you go, oh no. What are we going to do? And, you know, you're looking at this pot. I forget. I think we had some rice and beans and I don't know what else. And we're thinking, oh, this, this, we're toast. This will never go. What are we going to do? And so you said, well, oh, Jesus. You know, oh, hallelujah. And just start, start scooping. And so we just started scooping and just kept scooping and kept scooping. It, it was remarkable. The entire, I, I forget how many it was. it was. It was a staggering number. And we, we filled every plate and then it ran out. I, I mean, I've, I've watched it happen. I watched it on a couple of occasions happen. We had a youth group that it happened to as well. Uh, this can be done. Notice he takes what you have. But it, but it, was, it was as Jesus, he took those, those loaves and fish, held them up, thanked, blessed and thanked the Father for them. And then he began to break. Undoubtedly, there was a basket there. He began to break it. Fill that one. Here you take. Fill this one. And he's just breaking. And it's in his hands. The miracle's in his hands. You see that? 
It's in his hands. He keeps breaking it in, fills it up, out it goes, out it goes. And, and with, with 100 people in a group, you're going to run that basket back and forth. And, and so it's, it's, it's had enough for everyone. It doesn't just say everyone got some. It literally says everyone ate as much as they wanted when they were satisfied. Every one of them says something like that. When they were full, then it quit. Isn't that remarkable? With people seated in groups of 50 or 100, it was easy to count the size of the crowd. Then finally, when everyone was finished eating, Jesus instructed his disciples to go back to each group to collect any unused pieces of bread or fish. Quote, so that nothing may be lost. And the word he uses there means ruined or spoiled. He wanted nothing to be wasted. Would you notice this? It's not like, hey, we got miracle food here. Just, you know, leave it all over the ground. Uh, they, 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 they went back and whatever was in the baskets, whatever they weren't using, bring it back. And they were able to collect 12 baskets of leftover fragments. That may, that's a lot. It may seem like a, a, an interesting number. It's 12 baskets. How many tribes of Israel? Twelve. Twelve. Um, there's meaning in this. Uh, I'll get to it in a minute. But, but this, is, this, is, this is like the miracle of the manna. And they, they know that. They see that. In fact, that's the whole rest of the discussion of the book of, of, of chapter 6 is the miracle of the manna from heaven. And uh, so the, here, he, here he is. And, and they collect 12 baskets. One basket for each tribe. There's a message here. Not only does he give you all you need. But there's a, no one is left out. There is a portion for everyone. Every tribe will be filled. He will then, and, and uh, we'll, we'll see this in a minute. Uh, he will then do this same miracle among the Gentiles. He will go down into the Decapolis, which is immediately south of where he is now. He will go down into the Decapolis. And there will there be 4,000 men, again, plus women and children, these are Gentiles this time. He, he feeds the 4,000 and they collect how many baskets? Who remembers this? Seven. Now, what you may not know is that in, in, in Jewish thinking, there, in, that, in that whole region, there were seven Gentile nations. Where does that come from? If you go back uh, into the book of Exodus, there's the Hivites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites. Remember this? I can't remember all the ites there, there, that are there. Uh, but there's seven of them. So in their minds, there is seven Gentile nations. So for when, he, when, he, when he distributes the food to the, to the Jews, they pick up how many baskets? One for each tribe. When, they distri when, he, when he distributes food to the Gentiles, he picks up how many baskets? Seven. One for each nation. Yeah. He's, he's saying, tell you're full, all you need, and no one is left out. And then... Nothing will be wasted. Jesus never wastes. In his miracle, it's never silly. He will give us all we need. He wants not one penny wasted. Did you hear this? Oh, God's got money. He's the, you know, cattle on a thousand hills. You know. We're king's kids. And so you start, you know, just wasting money left and right. That is not God. He is terribly generous. And he doesn't waste a penny. Do you hear the, do you hear the two? You, we hold both of those in, in tension. Yeah. 
this miracle was undeniable. Everyone watched the entire process. And everyone ate bread and fish until they were full. There in a remote meadow on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee, that crowd felt like they were the ancient people of Israel eating manna in the wilderness. Jesus had fed them as miraculously as Moses had fed their ancestors. And as they realized that fact, they remembered what Moses had promised. That someday God would send them a prophet as powerful as Moses himself. Do you remember that promise? It's Deuteronomy 18. Moses says that the Lord will send you. Because he said, you have said to God, we do not want to talk to you face to face. We don't want to see your glory. We don't want to hear your voice. We want you to send someone to talk to us. Remember this? That's in Exodus 19. That's when they came to Sinai. They said, we, God says, I want to make you a holy nation. I, I want to, I'm going to talk to you all. And they said, no, no, we don't want to hear from you. Uh, talk to him. Uh, and that's the way it went. And then Moses says to them, because you don't want to hear from him directly, God will send you another. And he will be like me. A prophet like me. And he will speak the word to you, and don't you dare disobey him. That's Deuteronomy 18. All right, so when they, this, when they say prophet, they're not thinking Jeremiah, Ezekiel. This is who they're talking about. They, they see him multiply food like this. They go, aha, the second Moses. The prophet has come that Moses told us would be here. And rapidly, a conclusion swept through that crowd. Jesus must be that prophet. Surely, someone as powerful as Jesus could lead them to freedom from the Romans. Just as Moses had led their ancestors out of bondage in Egypt. To add to this fervor, they were about to celebrate Passover. A feast that remembered the night that God delivered them from Egypt. Jesus quickly recognized what was happening. A mob-like atmosphere was beginning to stir. The crowd intended to seize him and force him to become their king. There knew Moses. So Jesus acted quickly. First, he made his disciples get into their boat, which was waiting by the shore. My suspicion is they're part of the problem at this point. <laughs> you know, you get in the boat and get out of here. Row. Row. You know, he had to get them out of the, out of the picture. Uh, they, he doesn't want them helping <laughs> the crowd right now. I got a problem here. Uh, uh, I, I've got to die for these people. I've got a job to do. I'm not a, I'm not a general of an army. If, if I lead you in war, in war right now, you all die in your sins. I have, a, I have a, a way more important work I have to do. I'm not going there. You guys, row. Get out of here. And then this happened. Then, uh, where did I leave? Uh, where am I? Does anyone help me there? Uh, he told his disciples something. Yeah. Okay, there. so Jesus acted quickly, made his disciples get into their boat, which was waiting by the shore, and told them to row westward, back to Capernaum. And then he addressed the crowd and told them to go home. And somehow, in the confusion, he slipped away unseen into the nearby hills to pray. By this time, it must have been growing dark. It was growing dark, it actually says it. And a strong wind had begun to blow in from the west. Anybody remember this? What happens next? This strong wind is coming now. It's nighttime, and this wind is blowing. These poor, his poor disciples are out there rowing against this horrific wind, 
and another story happens. We'll talk about that next time. Uh, the crowd lost track of him, but people were stationed by the beach to see if he might try to slip away in one of the boats, which was, had pulled up along the shore. All right, 11 of the Pharisees. So how did the disciples do after participating in this amazing miracle? Well, not as positively as you might think. Listen to this conversation in a boat. Let's look at Matthew, or pardon me, Mark 8, uh, start at verse 14. Mark 8, and I'm at verse 14. The miracle that I just described for you earlier of feeding the 4,000 Gentiles and the seven baskets, remember that? That has just happened before this. So by the time we're in the boat did I, and, and, the, and we're, 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 we're having the conversation I'm going to read to you right now, he has fed uh, probably uh, 10 to 15,000 uh, there of, of Jews uh, in this meadow. He has gone down into the Decapolis. He has fed four plus who knows how many men and women are there. Uh, so what are you looking at? Probably eight to 10,000 uh, uh, gen, uh, Gentiles. He's done both these miracles, okay? And again, it was a few loaves and fish in that case. All right, so they get in the boat, and what happens? All right, um, verse 13, maybe I'll start leaving them. Uh, he again embarked and went away to the other side. So he's headed to cross the lake again. And they had forgotten to take bread and did not have more than one loaf in the boat with them. And he was giving orders to them saying, watch out, beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began to discuss with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said, why do you discuss the fact that you have no bread? Do you not see or, or understand? Do you have a hardened heart? Having eyes, do you not see? He's quoting Jeremiah. Ear, or having ears, do you not hear? Do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces you picked up? And they said to him, 12. <laughs> when I, when I, we're on a roll here. When I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets, large baskets? And by the way, it is a different word. How many big baskets uh, full of broken pieces did you pick up? And they said to him, seven. And he was saying to them, do you not yet understand what's going on? You see a miracle, but you do not see the spiritual meaning behind it. It has not produced in you any confidence that God is your supply. You just went, wow. Does that happen? Oh, it sure does. It sure does. You can even have a, we can even have miracles in our own lives. And a couple weeks later, I don't know. It, 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 there, there, he, there is to be a lesson learned. Let's, let's look at our text again. We need to remember that shortly before this discussion, Jesus had done another similar miracle among the Gentiles in the Decapolis region. He had fed 4,000 men plus women and children, and the disciples had collected seven baskets left of leftover food. So they had seen this process twice. But they were upset because they only had one loaf of bread in the boat. Their reaction really disturbed Jesus. He was worried that they were being infected by the doubt 
that religious leaders were spreading to anyone who would listen. Religious people always seem to find some reason to question a miracle or attack a person who steps out in faith. Now, that seems like a mean remark. It kind of is, but I'm, I, don't, I don't mean it. It's just true. It is often not the unbeliever who is our problem. It is other religious people who will come and quickly, aggressively discredit a miracle. You say, hey, God did this. And then, well, you know, come on. It, you, it, it's funny. Uh, there are people who walk with God and there are people who are religious. And they are not the same thing. And so often religious people are threatened when God actually begins to move or act. They, they begin to argue with it, trouble it, question it, challenge you. Uh, some of the most difficult challenges I've ever had when revival breaks out and stuff. It'll be religious people who go to war and you think, what is wrong with you? What on earth is going on with you? And that's who's opposing him. These are the orthodox, you know, kind of Bible believers. Uh, and, the, and when he talks about the leaven of the Pharisees, uh, he, he will cast a demon out of, of, of some terribly tormented man. And they'll say, you did that by the power of the devil. May I add, there are people today who would believe that Pentecostal power, since, since in their thinking... Uh, all the power of God was removed after the first uh, century, uh, once those good, that everything now is, 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 is either demonic or, or psychologically uh, uh, false. They would say the same thing and for different reasons. That wasn't God. Yeah, it just got better. It just got better. And so there, you, you can count on it. When you have your miracle, somebody's going to punch you. It just comes. You have to, it's literally uh, hanging on. He says, and he's worried that it's happened to them. Have you been listening to this stuff? Are you listening to them? Is that what's going on? Why don't you trust the threshold? God tested Israel in the wilderness. There, that numbers passage. Do you remember how many times it says there in numbers he tested them in the wilderness? It says 10 times. 10 times. He, and, and notice, God got them into one mess after another. He led them where there's no water. He, he led them. He led them where there was no food. He led them, <laughs> he led them right up against the sea with, a, with the Egyptian army right behind them. Bad tactics. Bad tactics. <laughs> Unless, of course, you're going to open the sea. <laughs> now, Jesus tested his disciples on a remote plain by the Sea of Galilee. And he will also test you and me. He'll ask us to do something impossible, something that can only happen if a miracle occurs. Sadly, this is the place where many people stop. They consider what God asks them to do to be unreasonable, and it is. You see, there comes that moment where you think, I know God's asking me to do this, but I can't. I can't. I have heard that a lot. I've heard people say, well, I know I'm supposed to go to school, but I don't have the money. <laughs> well, would that be his problem? Or I'm supposed to do this, but I, but I don't have time. What you do is do what you're told, take the first step, and see what happens. I have, boy, have I lived this. You, you think you're a whiner. <laughs> I've actually resisted him. I mean, I've, I've, I've bargained my way out of it. Um, years ago, the Lord uh, told us to, to, to plant a church in a particular city. And Mary and I stood there in the middle of this place, and we looked around. We said, this is where we're supposed to be, isn't it? Yep, it is. 
And I looked at her and I said, hey, you know, there's buses and there's buildings going up. And I'm thinking, oh, man. I, I said, nobody's going to listen to us here. This is crazy. Who do we think we are? You know? And, you know, and then we went home and go, oh, God, don't make us go there. You know? And, 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 and I, it'll be a failure. See, see, God doesn't know what he's doing. And, you know, you, somebody needs to have their head on straight. Yeah. And, and, and so we bargained and went to a, to a, to a, group, a group in a remote place where we felt safe. And he let us do it. And he was with us. But it was nonetheless bargaining down. So years later, the Lord says to me, it's time for you to finish what you refuse to do. And that was, I knew what the... <laughs> It was to build on no other man's foundations. In other words, start from scratch. The thing I, I feared above all. And, and go to a city. Oh. So I said, where do you want me to do it? He says, I don't care. Just do it anywhere. Just do it. <laughs> it was. He did. I could go anywhere I wanted. Just do it. Okay. So we went to Phoenix, Arizona. I will never forget. I mean, you talk about the insecurity that drives this. You look at your resources and you say, I can't do this. This is crazy. This is crazy. That this, is the, this is the threshold. This is the test point. Do you stop there or do you go on? May I add, going on hurts. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 the, my greatest fear, I would rather have had major surgery. I'm not joking. It's no exaggeration. I would have far rather they put you out when you do that. <laughs> than to then to have to do what I did, I, I had to, we rented a, a little elementary school. We put up signs. We put an ad in the paper. Uh, I had my guitar. I had the, my, my kids' playpen and toys. And, and, and uh, all my family stationed at various whatever they could do. And uh, we had a f couple of friends put an American flag. I got one of these black band um, music stands from my pulpit. And I had my guitar. And I was terrified would, that no one would come. And then I was terrified someone would. It was, it was, it was yeah, he had me coming or going there. I, I, it just didn't matter. And then, oh, to my horror, 22 people came, you know. So, oh, God. And, and so off we went. And you just felt like you were numb. You felt like you were literally uh, you had lifted off the planet and it, the fear of it all. What are you doing? So I want you to know that something that when he takes our barley bread, and he begins to break us and give us away. When you come to that point of your, your, what you have is not enough. And you know it isn't. And honestly, it isn't. You're not wrong in your assessment. What you've left out of your equation is the miracle. See? He's, he's, not saying, he's not saying, oh yeah, that's enough bread. He's saying, give me what you got. I'll do the miracle. I'll make it go way beyond what you can do. Those years in, in Arizona uh, taught me huge lessons. He, God does not simply somehow pour out on us uh, huge amounts of money or something like that. You know, what Jesus didn't do there on that meadow is say, okay, everybody, close your eyes. Abracadabra, poof! You know, and, then, and there's, a, there's suddenly a table for 10,000, you know, with roast duck on it or something. God doesn't work that way. I mean, really, we often think, well, God, do it. You know? What he did, he took what they had. Elisha goes to the, to the woman, and she's, uh, the widow, and she says, what do you have in the house? Remember that question? He starts with what you have. What do you have? 
And so what, what was she to do? Go get all the vessels you can get and keep pouring oil. And when the last vessel was there, the oil quit. It's exactly the same sort of thing. So he says, what did you have? And then they said, we, we don't Go look. Okay, Andrew comes back. There's a kid here. He's got five barley loaves. That's poor man's bread. Five little crummy barley loaves and two pickled herring. Um, not herring. It would have been, it would have been tilapia. Two pickled fish. He says, give them to me. The miracle happens when we give it to him. And so we stepped out. Uh, we took what little we had and just took the next step. That's what he, I, I, the way he said it to me. I, he, said, he said, who am I? And I said, well, you're the God who opens doors no man can close and closes doors no man can open. He said, exactly right. He said, so your job is to knock. Just knock on the door. He said, if I open it, go to the next. If I don't, you're done. Can you do that? I said, I can do that. So I knock on the door. Oh, the, it's the next step. It's the first step. It, just take what you have and step. And don't quit. Don't quit. Just take what you have and step. What happens then? Well, there's another door. Knock on the door. Open it. I could take all morning and tell you the miracles I saw. When they've, we've, we, we, they, they, the, the denomination had this hideous old building. It had been completely destroyed. The, the roof had collapsed on itself uh, and it and poured water. Believe it or not, Arizona has downpours when it has it. And so it had poured this enormous, like a swimming pool's worth of the roof water into the sanctuary. It had been completely ruined. The walls had been damaged. The electrical thing had been messed up. It had a cult in there. And they had just torn up everything and then ripped out everything they could take when they left. And it was all of this. And so this is just mess. And the Lord said, asked us to start with that barley loaf. And it was just crazy. There was no parking. It was, it was a complete disaster. It didn't, it didn't matter, did it? Just do it. Just step. So we took the first step and then the next step and then the next step. One, and what he didn't do is give us huge amounts of money. What he did is take what we had and stretch it. So all of a sudden, we need a structural engineer. The Lord gives me this crazy name of a guy, a little, little name in the phone book. I call the guy, pick him up. He, he says to me, I, get right, I go right to his personal phone. And I, he says, uh, how did you get my number? I said, well, a guy at the city mentioned your name. And I asked, he says, well, tell me what you're doing. What I, I don't realize, I'm talking to the, one of the top structural engineers in the entire Southwest. He does the big high-rises downtown Phoenix and all over the country. Yeah, he did the big Goodyear plant. He just finished that and stuff. In fact, how do I know? You know, he, anyway, he, he, he listens to my story. And I said, I need a structural engineer. I got this church. And he says, well, he says, I'm going hunting, duck hunting on Saturday. He says, uh, I'll come by about 8 o'clock in the morning. Can you meet me there? I said, sure can. And uh, so he shows up and he's got his hat on and his duck outfit and his ducks unlimited on the back of the truck. And just stands there on the other side of the truck. He says, and he, looking at this thing and. I, I, as I talked to him, he, he had a lot of knowledge, boy. He was a sharp guy. And we looked at it and, said, he said, and finally he said, he said, I'll do it. He says, I won't charge anything. He says, uh, you might need to pay my draftsman, um, but I'll draw it up for you. He says, maybe you want some recommendation on me, by the way. You don't know me. So he hands me this brochure. <laughs> it's, the, it's the Goodyear's uh, huge plant. It's the, it's the Phoenix Metroplex, you know, downtown Phoenix. I said, 
And he says, I do this. He said, I don't know how you found out, but he said, I have this in my heart to do this for churches. Boy, did he for me. Did he ever draw it up? Um, it just went like that the whole time. How much did that cost me? Well, it cost me a thousand bucks to pay for his draftsman. For the top structural engineer in the Southwest. How's that work? Barley bread. Just start tearing it off. I got more stories. I got one after another like that. Until they finally, when, they, when we left, they couldn't find a pastor really that, that would, would be able to pastor there, which is heartbreaking. But they sold that, that old building, and we'd had to res- we had it rezoned. There's just one miracle after another. They sold it for a million two. We had no money. We borrowed a little bit. He'll ask us to do something impossible that can only happen if a miracle occurs. Sadly, this is the place where many people stop. They consider what God asks them to do to be unreasonable, and it is. Here are some questions we can ask ourselves. Number one, have I let my Lord lead me to a place where I haven't the resources to do what he's asked me to do? Number two, when I arrive at that threshold, how do I respond? Because you will arrive at that threshold. You follow God, you're going to come up to a spot where it can't be done. Do I angrily accuse God of being unreasonable? Or do I turn to him in faith and ask him to multiply the little I have? Number three, he does not magically cause resources to appear. He requires me to give him the little I have. He draws me into the miracle. He teaches me the key to great fruitfulness. He asks, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. Have I done that? The miracle happens, number four, in the expansion, the multiplication of what I give him. It accomplishes much more than there is any logical reason to expect. The boy had five little loaves of the cheapest kind of bread. And two little pickled fish. But that didn't matter. The miracle took place when he gave it to Jesus. Do I despise my loaves and fish? Am I ashamed to give them to him? That's where it becomes, doesn't it? We look at ourselves. I stood there. Mary stood there. Uh, I'll own this one. that She would have done whatever the Lord said. But I stood there and I thought, nobody's going to listen to me. This is crazy. What am I doing? You look at yourself, you evaluate your skills, you evaluate your education, or you evaluate your talents, or whatever you look at, your appearance. You go, I can't can't do this. This is crazy. And I stopped. I stopped. But but you notice it's a pass-fail course. He says, well, you stop for now, but you're going to do this, son. (laughs) So I got my chance. Thank heavens. Uh, Let me tell you something. I came out of Arizona a different person. I came out of there. Those, I saw too many miracles. I saw this thing happen so much. I'm different. I, 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 I can't go back. I've seen what he can do. Number five. The disciples carried the bread and fish out to the people. Not Jesus. He did not carry it out. They did. Please notice that. He, the miracle's in his hands, but we're involved. They collected the fragments. They never stood by and watched. Am I willing to serve people and serve for a long time because there's the key and number six when Jesus was finished 
There was more than enough. No one was forgotten. And nothing was wasted. I'm going to say that again. Why don't you say it with me? More than enough. No one forgotten. Nothing was wasted. Do I believe that he can do that again through me? Barley loaves. It's not insignificant that all the little boy had to offer was five small loaves of barley bread. Barley is poor man's bread. Wheat is the grain used for high quality bread. But notice what Jesus did not do. He did not ask the boy, is this all you have? Just barley loaves? He didn't criticize the quality. He appreciated the generosity. And Jesus doesn't criticize what little we have to offer either. He is delighted by the faith and love that brought it to him. Have you ever wondered what happened to those 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish? We're not told, but my guess is that he returned them to their rightful owner. That little boy probably needed some help carrying his supply, his supper back home. Imagine his mother's face. When 12 baskets came through the door, you simply can't outgive God. He just borrowed them. <laughs> what do you and I have, no matter how meager it may seem, that others need? Don't give it to them, give it to Jesus. There's a difference. He's not asking you to be generous with yourself, He's asking you to trust Him. Give it to him. The miracle is not in your generosity or mine. It is in his hands. And when he blesses and breaks and hands our gift back to us, then it becomes a miracle. And it doesn't run out as time passes. We're able to care for more people than we ever thought possible. But it all started at that moment when we're tested. That's the test we have to pass. Would you stand with me? Blessed be the Lord. I think there's, there's a constant process in some ways of presenting our, our barley loaf. You look at yourself and you look at what you have. And, and this process of, of, of presenting ourselves to the Lord and trusting his resources, trusting his supply, trusting that he will... He will care for us and sustain us. What's my barley loaf right now? I've got a number, I suppose. But right now, part of it for me is I'm getting older. I get tired. And you begin to think, Lord, how, help me. I need him more. I need his strength more. I need his presence more. It becomes a, a, an, obe an obedience. Not that I don't love it. But it becomes an obedience. Where's yours? Where's your weakness? Are you getting tired? You're getting weary? You, get, you feel old? You feel, you feel dumb? You feel, you feel forgotten? You feel whatever? That, that stuff is, is what kills the process. It, you have to say, don't look in the mirror and say, I can do it. Get away from a mirror. Stop looking at yourself. What do you have that others need? Don't tell me you don't have stuff. You do. You, we, we, you, we are wealthy people in, this, in the sense of all of that God has graced us with and taught us and done in our lives. 
You have capacities and abilities and graces that are on your life and others need them. Don't just run out and give that away. Give it to Jesus. You see the difference? There is a difference. And then you say, Lord, what do you want me to do? And he says, what kind of God am I? I said, well, you're a God who opens doors that no man can close. Well, then knock on the door I give you. If it opens, you go through. If it doesn't, you're done. You begin to progress. Just take the step he shows you. And watch what happens. You and I enter onto a path of miracles. And the time comes, you look back and you go, how on earth did all that happen through my life? How did he take a, a broken boy from a single mom and a divorced family, full of confusion and trouble, and how did he work in my life? How did he work in your life? Take you from your background and your history and your, your abuse or whatever it was and take you and use you mightily in his hands. In his hands, it's where the miracle takes place. Lord Jesus, we, we, we stand by that lake. We watch you. Our lovely Lord, we hear you speaking to your disciples, going, How do you not yet understand? We today choose by faith, we understand. You are our supply. There is no lack in God. And we can do everything you asked us to do, and you will care for our every need. We can seek first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto us. Lord, we confess that. We believe that. And if we have come, any one of us, to a test point, And we have turned back. Forgive us. And we simply say, this is pass fail. Bring us back. Bring us back. We want to go on in all that you've called us to do. If you, now, that's a dangerous prayer. But if you mean it, he know, he'll know that. Would you say, yes, Lord? Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.